Okay, that brings us to the next uh, topic, which uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, questions. Now, I'm not going to promise you that I'll keep it uh, easy because, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, put your knowledge on this topic to the test. I know that you've uh, often dealt with these issues at our offices, so I know that you are a bit of an expert in this field of the laws. It's it's a food stewards clause that we're going to discuss for our listeners. Uh, food stewards clause. Uh, maybe I should first ask you, uh, Janis, what is a, a food stewards clause for in case some of our listeners have not uh, come across this term? Um, yeah, Volker, a food stewards clause would normally find in, in agreements for property transactions, although it's becoming more and more um, generalized in, in all the contracts. Uh, so the essence of a food stewards clause is that the purchaser buys the property as is. Yeah? That's normally the way it's phrased. You buy something as is. And what it means is that you buy the property with all the defects um, that are part of the property. So regardless of whether or not the purchaser knew about the property, is buying the property as is, and the seller then won't be liable to rectify any defects as long as the seller then didn't know about the defects. Okay. Um, so let's say uh, there are some cracks in the wall uh, that the purchaser finds or there is a leaking roof that uh, the purchaser realizes the house has after the first rains after he moved into the property. Can he then sue the seller if there's a footsteps clause in the contract of sale? Yeah, well, it's, it's um, interesting and important that you refer now to the types of defects. Um, I beg you to answer your question first and foremost. Yes, you can always sue someone, but it's a different question as to whether or not you will be um, successful. So it's not really for the footstool clause necessarily that we differentiate between the types of defects, but there does exist um, two major types of, of defects that we refer to as latent and patent defects. So the patent defects would be something that you can immediately see when you walk into the house. Um, for example, the house doesn't have windows or part of the roof is missing. Um, an Afrikaan someone say that this and And if the purchaser then buys that property, then surely he was aware of the problem. And if he then wants the seller to rectify those defects, he's going to have to tell the seller, listen, I don't like it that there's no windows. Please um, rectify it. And if he buys the property without asking that from the seller, it's deemed that you know, he bought the property automatically as is. It's not really necessary to have a foot stewards clause for, for patent defects. But the problem arises where, for example, like you mentioned now, the leaking roof. Um, another example can maybe be drains that, that keeps on blocking. Um, but it's something that you won't immediately see when you view the property as a potential purchaser. I normally... Um, you know, when I just started to deal with these types of matters, I remember that as latent defects, it's effects that you become aware of later. So that helps you to remember the term latent defects. And even in these instances, then the um, effect of the food stores clause will be that the purchaser won't be able to, to um, keep the seller liable, even though the purchaser wasn't aware of the property. Um, and that is, in essence, the effect of the food stores clause is there to protect the seller. The important point then being the seller shouldn't have had knowledge of the food stores clause, uh, of the of the defect rather. Um, so if the seller knew that the roof is leaking and he fraudulently didn't tell the purchaser about that, then he's not going to be 
um, protected by the foodstuffs clause. But once again, that becomes then um, the duty of the purchaser to sort of prove that the seller actually had knowledge about this specific latent defect then. But all in all, um, yeah, that's that's there's more or less how the foodstuffs clause work um, to give that protection to the seller to say, you bought the property as is, sorry, I didn't know about this defect. Uh, it's not my problem. Okay. In other words, the seller basically says he doesn't give any guarantees in respect of the condition of the property. If there's a latent defect that he does, didn't uh, know about, then uh, it's the purchaser's problem. He can't uh, claim anything from the seller for that for that uh, latent defect. Yeah, exactly, Volker. Um, that's that's precisely. Okay. I guess uh, in some cases it might be a bit difficult to prove that a seller knew about a latent defect because how how do you prove that uh, but yeah maybe in the case of a leaking roof you would be able to convince a court that the seller knew about it if uh, um, yeah the seller for example lived in the house for a couple of years and he sold the property to you and there's a leaking roof and um, uh, he then argues that he didn't know about it he might have a problem uh, to convince the court that he didn't know about it uh, because obviously uh, it must have rained sooner or later whilst he was living in the house. Uh, I think in such a case, he would uh, probably be, be able to, to convince the court that uh, the seller was aware of the defect and that there was, in other words, uh, fraudulent activity basically on the seller's side. But anyway, let's maybe move on um, to the Consumer Protection Act. Am I right in saying that that act is also relevant for the food stewards clause? And I, I think there are certain cases where you cannot rely on the food stewards clause uh, as a seller, am I right? Yeah, Volker, um, once again, <laughs> you're 100%. Um, so the Consumer Protection Act, obviously from the wording of the act, it's, it's quite clear it's there to protect consumers. In terms of Section 55 of the act, um, every consumer has a right to receive goods in, in a good quality or um, free from any defects then. So, if the if the roof leaks and the consumer protection act applies then the seller won't be able to to rely on the food stewards clause because you can't contract out of the consumer protection act the question that will then just um, have to be answered is does the consumer protection act apply to your specific transaction and they one would firstly have to establish is the seller and we saw the property is he a supplier in terms of the um, cpa the consumer protection act which uh, the definition more or less says it's someone who sells you goods or services in the ordinary course of his or her business. In the property market, I think the best and easiest examples would be, for example, a developer or a property speculator. And, you know, these are people that, that would sell you property in the ordinary course of their business. Um, so that's sort of the first box tick there. Then you would have to be able to prove that you, as the purchaser of the property, you were also a, a consumer in terms of the CPA. Then. So there are a lot of technicalities um, of who qualifies as a consumer and who not. But um, for purposes of, of, of our discussion today, we can sort of accept that where a natural purchaser um, or natural person rather purchases a property is going to be regarded as a consumer in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. Um, and he will then deserve the protection of the CPA, meaning the seller won't enjoy the protection of the foodstuffs clause. So yeah, it's very, very important um, to know when the CPA applies and when not. I've heard a couple of people say that the foodstuffs clause is no longer enforceable because of the CPA. 
But that obviously, based on what you're saying now, is, is not true. It depends on the circumstances. It's not enforceable as a general rule by the developer as such, or, um, for example, a property speculator. But another person that just simply sells his house, for example, where he's lived for a couple of years, so it's not part of his business to sell the house, and uh, he could still uh, add a foot to its clause in, uh, in his agreement and enjoy the protection of the clause. Do you agree? Yeah, Volker, I absolutely agree. Um, we can sort of accept that footsteps clauses are standard in all the agreements now. So you will have it in the agreement. It's almost certainly going to form part of the agreement. Um, it boils down to, if you look at the CPA, the definition of, of the supplier that I've already explained now, there's not really certainty or agreement between um, attorneys and the legislators yet what is really part of a, a supplier's ordinary cause of business. There's, yes. there's no specific definition of that in the act. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the, the um, school that thinks if you do something only once, you sell a property once, it's not part of your ordinary cause of business, but obviously if you're the attorney for the purchaser um, or for the seller rather, you're going to try your best um, to, to disprove that and to say, you yeah you sold it only once but this is part of your business and um, i've had numerous discussions and arguments about that with with um, my colleagues in the office especially with regards to second-hand cars selling of a second-hand car which which might not be relevant for today's topic but um it definitely definitely provides um, heated arguments i understand all right thank you i think that sheds some light on the legal principles related to the so-called uh, foot stewards clause.